0: Today on this new moon episode of the Dreamer's Den podcast,
1: they draw the wolves in, the wolves come in, take down the prey, you know, open up the carcass and then the ravens come down and there's this playful dance where they all feed at the same time, the wolves and the ravens uh, feeding each other. And so this is what I'm trying to do for the men to bring the packs together and say, hey, you know, there's spirit food here in dreams and to become fuller and greater men and initiated men we need to work together at it because we've forgotten to do that
0: you're listening to the dreamers den podcast i'm your host leilani navar i'm here along with guest dream workers authors and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams we're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. Today's episode is extra special for me because I get to introduce you to my friend, Matt Cochran. You'll hear us talk about dreams as initiation and as practical navigation tools, especially for men, which is who Matt's focused most on working with these days. And about dreaming and place, the place on earth where we're sleeping and having these dreams. And the wildness of our dreams and how wild nature speaks the same language as our dreams. We talk about messages that go beyond the level of a single person and why Matt feels it's so valuable to share dreams with community, both for the individual and for the whole group. He also shares a couple of his own dreams and the influence they've had on his life. All that and more here in a minute. First, if you've been thinking about joining the Dreamers Den membership community, we'll be opening up the doors for new members at the end of March. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you are part of a fairly small, self-selecting group of marvelous people who are interested in dreams. And I love that about you. Thank you for being wherever you are on the spectrum between open to and devoted to the importance of dreams. If you come join the Dreamers Den membership community, we'll share dreams with each other in a live group call once a month. And there are always aha moments all around on those calls. And in our online forum daily or as often as you want, you'll receive a bonus podcast episode each month, sometimes from me, sometimes from myself and a guest dream worker. You'll get 50% off tickets to all live events and a members only price for one-on-one dream work with me. We have a live event coming up that I'm so excited about focused on creative writing from dreams with Sue Scavo of Students of the Dream and my guest on episode four. That's coming up on Saturday, March 13th. It is open to the public and 50% off for members. So if you're drawn to any of this, please come to TheDreamersDen.org, click membership, and then click that button that says "Click here to let me know you're interested in joining." I will keep you in the loop and look forward to meeting you. And now, episode 22. My guest today is my friend dreamworker Matt Cochran. Matt offers dream work through Raven Dream Tracking, primarily working with men individually and in groups. He lives out here in the southern Utah high mountain desert and canyon lands. He spent most of his adult life out here in the inner west. He's been a wandering poet and exploration geologist in Nevada, a surveyor and mapper in Colorado and Montana, and a wilderness guide in the southwest. So he's had a continual relationship with the wild landscapes in this region and with the wild inner landscapes of dreams. Matt has a master's degree in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate School, where he focused on dreams and eco-psychology. He's trained in rites of passage with Animus Valley Institute and been involved in men's work through Michael Mead and the Rising Man Movement. He's also a dear friend of mine, someone I've shared dreams with for years. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Leilani. Uh, And I want to put back at you that it's wonderful to be uh, in the dream, the dreamers den. And uh, because I feel a bit like a a bear in winter, and uh, to have a safe, comfortable place to go hibernate and wallow in dreams uh, always makes my heart sing. And I'm so glad that you provide that space for so many people. So thank you.
0: Mm, Thank you. Would you share with us how and when you first realized that dreams really mattered to you?
1: Well, that goes way back. (laughs) I, you know, I was a strong dreamer um, even in childhood, but it was in my young 20s that I had um, uh, months of very intense dreaming. And uh, I I didn't know they mattered then, but I knew something was up and I needed to, um, rather than sort of run from that, uh, turn into it. And so I started seeking help and not only through studying young and which was way over my head in my 20s without any background, but also eventually I started working with people like Anita Doyle out of Missoula, uh, Montana. And um, I saw, you know, pretty quickly that dreams had so much to do with my day world. And so, yeah, that's why dreams started mattering to me because they started nudging me.
0: Mm-hmm. And we've talked before about dreaming and place, and I know that that's been important to you. Do you want to share anything about that, the, the sort of geographical nature of your dreaming?
1: Well, briefly, you know, over the years, having run, you know, many dream groups and worked with, you know, so many people on dreams, and as well as my work in depth psychology and uh, eco-psychology through Pacifica, I have found that, um, you know, places in a way dream as well and when you get a group of people dreaming together a lot of times uh, dreams aren't just personal they're also uh, bringing up the personality and the um, you know the presence of the place we live in and uh, you know this follows a lot along steven eisenstadt's work out of pacifica by the way dream tending um, but you know, places can be practically attended to if we listen into our dreams um, from a certain perspective, because we get information. Um, I guess that's what I'll say to start with. There's a lot more than that. And it might sound sort of um, vague and abstract, but it's a very real phenomenon.
0: Yeah. I wonder if you have any examples. I mean, we've, so you mentioned kind of hibernating in the winter and we've usually shared dreams in the wintertime, and always with people living here locally in this really distinctive and wild place. So I've observed some themes coming up in people's dreams around animals or landscapes. I'm wondering if there are any examples that come to mind for you where you felt like something was coming through dreams of the place.
1: Yeah, I have a smile on my face thinking about that. These, you were uh, you've been a part of some of these dream groups, but it seems like in the small town that we live in, uh, for quite a while, both in dreams, uh, the sense of a female mountain lion kept showing up in people's dreams. At the same time, externally in town, mountain lions were um, more prevalent or showing themselves sort of on the edges, and it, we came to understand, I think, a bunch of us that that this personality, this nature of a female mountain lion, elusive, um, watchful, uh, incredible power, uh, you know, both, um, you know, both sort of radical in its movement and, um, I don't know, just powerful in its presence. She seemed to be itself the place of Boulder. Mm. And, you know, we checked in with a lot of people on that, and there was definitely a resonance to it, and it brought a different layer of relationship to the place we live in when you started holding the place as if perhaps the dreams were showing that this place itself was a mountain lion, and it changed the way people could relate to their daily um, sort of drama in town.
0: mm mm-hmm. What do you feel like is going on there when people dreaming in the same place are getting that kind of sense? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you feel like the place is communicating? Do you feel like, I mean, is it that direct or do you feel like we're picking up on something? Do you have any, I mean, maybe it's just a mystery and we can let it sit there, but I wonder if you have an idea about yeah. what you feel like is going on.
1: And I think you're right. At the center, it's always a mystery, but, you know, in my mind and, from my experiences you know in wild nature and so on uh and with dreaming a place you know what's going on is uh you know it's an old way of being I think an older way of being before the modern world in some ways um you know put a shield between us and our direct experience with nature and I think that uh, you know, places are alive all around us. And we've just forgotten some of the avenues into, and that was a very civilized word avenues, but (laughs) the ways, the doorways into this sort of older direct relationship with place. And I think dreams are one of those doorways. I know, you know, the Iroquois nation, you know, as recorded by the Jesuits historically, um, You know, they said the night world and the day world, um, our dreaming world and our practical day world are two sides of the same maple leaf. And they run that closely together. And so I truly believe that, uh, you know, that the earth is always trying to sort of coax us back into deeper relationship with itself. And I think dreams are one of the, collective ways that it communicates with all of us.
0: Hmm. So speaking of the way the Iroquois viewed dreams, I know that in working with men, you've talked particularly about Iroquois men dreaming in relation to the hunt. Can you share anything about that?
1: Well, I think back then in some ways, you know, from what, from my research and obviously I don't know from direct experience is that it seemed Dreams were more practical uh, and that, uh, you know, you could scout in a dream and find game to hunt. You'd know where to look the next day, for example, Um, and, you know, or sense a a presence of enemy or danger within the dream. So they were used quite um, literally in a way uh, that sort of... uh, bypassed or you know sort of gotten left behind it seems like these days and so you know and i know there's more to this conversation but to start with you know working with men what i've found is uh they tend to need a more practical application of dreams Uh, and you know so following this line of thinking out and and how to act on our dreams and you, you might say how to, you know, rather than hunting game or looking for enemies, you know, our dreams can also show us how to find sustenance for our souls and uh, reveal blind spots or inherent dangers of the shadow, for example. And Mm -hmm. so that's the way that I've been sort of playing it and so on with great response from men in general, who I find, by the way, over the years, probably only 5% of the people I've worked with have been men. And right now I've suddenly shifted gears and I'm focusing directly and trying to um, sort of reel in men to say that, Hey, dream work is, you know, an incredible navigation tool for you.
0: Yeah. I'm so curious about that dynamic. I mean, personally I've spent a lot of time in, environments that are heavily weighted one way or the other, like in martial arts with mostly men and in acupuncture with mostly women. And as a kid playing hockey with mostly boys and dream work now is mostly with women for me as well. And I'm curious what you think, like, why do you think that in our time and our place, you know, culturally and the context that, that we're in together, men have not been drawn as much to dream work and they are more now with you but what do you think is behind that
1: I mean you know I think a lot of it of course is is some basic hardwiring in that you know and this is you know a generalization I understand that but typically the conventional sort of traditional masculine behavior is more problem solving practical action trying to get stuff done not quite as introverted and not quite as focused because it's considered a vulnerability, which is considered a weakness typically that, you know, uh, dreams bring up huge emotional terrain. And it's not a place that men typically spend time together. Uh, It's not their first sort of order of how to hang out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Men typically like, in my experience, like doing things uh, Initially, side by side, working on a project together, accomplishing something, uh, or martial arts—you know, like testing each other, sort of that way—and and you know, you know, for and generally, you know, sitting around in a circle and talking about their feelings is not as comfortable a place for them. Mm-hmm. So that that would be where I'd start.
0: And what's what's making it work now? What's making men more receptive? Like you said, you were talking about the practical kind of lens on it. And are you sitting around talking about feelings or is it taking a different um, tone or style?
1: Well, a little bit of it all. And here, here are a few things why, and this is what I tell men, and this is my own experience from dreams. First of all, uh, you know, dreams are, you know, if there's, you know, they're more than a cycle you know, psychological tool. They're as you well know, and they're also more than just this static in the brain, or you know, however people map that, but to me they're a fierce, viable presence. They're something animate and alive. And what I've found is that in some ways dreams uh are an initiatory process. And for boys to become men, uh it's you know if you look all through the research cultures past and past and past men need to be initiated boys need to be initiated to become men women have a natural biological process in a way that initiates them that men do not Um, and so I tell men that dreaming you know like that in my 20s when I was telling you when I first started dreaming I I dreamt for six seven months that i was dying every night many many times it was mm-hmm. painful it, w- it was terrorizing it was very scary and i in a way i was being trained in death and it was very a very as i look back on it initiatory experience um and so this is one avenue for men to dive into the mysteries uh, in a way to me that's trustworthy it's not coming from Um, a bestseller. It's not coming from a guru. It's not, you know, it's something dreams are crafted individually for us each night from this mysterious place. And I believe if we learn the language of dreams, we come into relationship with our fuller capacity. And so that's one start uh, with men Mm -hmm. there. And I have some others, unless you have some questions about that.
0: No, go on. I'd, I'd love to hear more. Yeah.
1: Okay, two is um, emotional access. Dreams have a different morality, as you know, than our waking life. We experience and take actions and dreams that would not be condoned or accepted in our day world. And so my own experience of I, is I've had a capacity to experience rage and anger and uh, other things like grief that I've never been able to touch in the day world. And I have found that that release has been incredibly healing for me to you know, men tend to be contained and anger can be seen as bad or aggressiveness and so on. But really, it's an important creative fuel. And for me, anger was a fuel that uh, knocked me out of depression or despair. Uh, it was the right balance. And so in dreams, you, uh, you know, men have a capacity to experience these things they might be um, suspect or scared to express in the day world. Uh, And so I say that this is a trustworthy place to dive in to some deep feelings that uh, they might not have access to otherwise. That would be a second reason.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you, do you feel like for you and for clients that there's something, there's a process that's helpful of bringing those emotions that showed up in the dream into more conscious experience, like trying to experience that as you're processing the dream?
1: Yes, exactly. And I found, and so part of my work is, uh, with men, I call it team dream tracking, uh, Mm -hmm. right now I might call it wolf pack, uh, um, dream tracking at some point because so many men are lone wolves and, yeah. you know, and the whole metaphor of the hunt together wolves work in tandem. Yeah. And so when you get a group of men together, it, it's just different than a mixed group or a group with, with women and, and with the right sort of accountability and holding frame, men can really work together uh, in a honest and sort of trustworthy environment to, Realize that they all feel that same rage or they all feel that deep sense of loss and grief in their hearts and they just don't know where and how to express it. And so, you know, when you bring that to the table in a, in a um, safe group like that, I find that men together um, have, you know, much more sort of capacity to reveal themselves and when they get that stuff off their chest Uh, it opens them up because they realize they're not a lone wolf. They're not alone in it. And um, so it's been really not only cathartic, but really a blessing to experience for myself and to watch within groups, watch this happen.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's an experience that happens for all human beings too, of like imagining in our deepest and most difficult emotions that we're alone and that you know maybe we don't consciously think this but possibly no one else ever has felt this or could understand it and to um to share it in a group like that sounds really powerful
1: yeah and you're to- you're totally right it, i mean it, it's a sort of a universal trait and i th- i think the thing i'm i was pointing at is once you do get a group of men together just in that container there's some There's this magic that happens that doesn't happen otherwise. And it's very, very hard to um, get a group of men together. Uh, So, you know, again, this idea of we're working practically together on, quote, the hunt or, you know, um, being teammates together and so on um, is really uh, has been really positive.
0: And was there a third thing? I have more questions, but I don't want to derail this. Yeah, please go on with
1: that. Yeah, there's two more things. So another thing that I think, and this is important for all people, but again, uh, men typically, you know, the way we're brought up, like our sort of own autonomy, um, self-governing, sovereignty, keeping stuff a little bit closer to ourselves is really important to our integrity and our sense of honor. and so I tell, and what I've noticed from dreams is again, they're, to me, they're things you can trust. They're things that are honest uh, because that they aren't um, coming from someone else's idea of something. So I like to, I teach men the language of dreams and I don't interpret the dreams for them. I simply ask questions. So this idea of the Socratic method allowing the man to uncover, and this can be for anybody, women or men, to uncover the reality of the dream for themselves is a really important process. And so in a group of men, it's not that men are telling each other what the dream means, it's that they're asking questions, hopefully from a non-leading way that helps the man do his own self-reflection. and come to the aha and recognition of blind spots and so on within himself. And that's a very powerful method um, that allows men to be engaged rather than turn away. Mm -hmm.
0: As opposed to if someone were trying to impose their interpretation.
1: Correct. I mean, I suppose no one likes being told what their shadow is, right? It's much better. It's, it's a much better thing if you see it for yourself and it, and, you know, a lot of times defense just comes up when you're told something like that. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think those are sort of, you know, those would be the three things. The, the sense of initiation, the sense of emotional access, and the sense that um, you have a, um, a truth coming from an honest, unquestionable place.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, that sounds so appealing, really, if someone's feeling kind of lost in any of those ways, like the idea that there's something, some kind of wisdom is coming from within that is trustworthy every night, you know, to be able to get to know that language.
1: Right. And especially, you know, I think some of the research and statistics that these days show that... um, men in particular, especially midlife and so on. uh, The suicide rates are four to five times higher than women. And it's mainly a fact of because of some ways the modern age. uh, We tend to isolate ourselves. Uh, And, you know, ever since we went, you know, the workplace changed from sort of apprenticeship and you left the family to go work and uh, there's much less of this camaraderie and teamwork together. And so, uh, it seems as if more and more men in the modern world feel very, very alone. Mm.
0: Yeah. Wow. And
1: so dream, dream work for me is a place to bring this sense of brothership and community, um, back together in, in the masculine realm, at least.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um yeah I can feel the weight of that the mm-hmm. the shadow of that of uh, that aloneness like the lone wolf you know and the the independence and then the shadow of that isolation and
1: Right men I mean you know how hard it is for for men and t- typically to ask for help Yeah even among themselves and so um that's something you know I think you know I've been looking into personally you know and it, yeah it's funny it's like why don't I ask for help even before I need it I usually mm-hmm. ask for it I usually asked for it way too late.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> um, okay, so I I wanna go deeper into this idea of the language of dreams. And you said you you try to teach people the language of dreams and you've also mentioned the language of nature and kind of mapping the outer wild natural world and mapping the inner world. So I, I don't know if you might have any example dreams or a dream image where maybe we could talk about what the language is going on there.
1: Mm, get, can I start? Let me start with sort of a little background and let's zero in on that and okay, we'll get great. to an image. Hopefully one will come up. But Okay. Um, so in, the, in this, I'm going to steer it a little bit back to the, the, men, the men thing too, is and that is um, so for me, and this is comes from James Hillman, uh, archetypal psychologist, uh, you know, really sort of radically had us looking at dreams differently from the Jungian uh, experience, uh, you know, looking from the dream inside out rather than outside in. So you it wasn't objective, but uh, from the inside.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so he said, you know, to understand dreams, you have to have a poetic basis of mind. And... As you well know, dreams are multi-layered, multivalent. They say many things at the same time as Jeremy Taylor once said, you know, and uh, they mean many things at once. And so this idea of um, having uh, rather than logos in our logical mind, which typically is more masculine directed, this mythos, this mysterious, more fluid Um, able to take in more things at once, sense of mind, is it's easier to understand dreams. And in fact, dreams can teach us this balance um, just by their nature alone. So to me, that's also what I experienced in all my time spent in wild nature, is that you know, the wilderness, the the whole sort of um, gestalt of being out in the wild speaks in a very similar fashion. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So it's coming at you from all directions. You have to have sort of this ecological consciousness. It's not... Um, self-absorbed and focusing on me, you have to be outwardly aware of the weather, the animals, the wind, the the grasses, the smells, the, you know, the visuals, hearing, everything, this full sort of awareness is happening at once. This is the same as dreams, you know, to me. Um, if you think about it, when you go in, when you're inside of a dream, and then when you wake up out of it too. Mm-hmm. So I'll start there. So you asked for an image. Um well, I think there are a couple of dreams and and I don't know if they'll they'll hit your example, but let me start with one of my own, okay? And then I'll move to another. Okay. So so uh in midlife for me, uh I dreamt that I was actually winging around like a raven, okay? And I am looking down on a small boat that's been caught up on a sandbar um, and beyond it is an island that uh, the boat has not reached. The boat looks abandoned and it's definitely stuck on that sandbar. As I am witnessing this, the there, these waves pulse off the island, like huge, like tsunami type waves pulsing outward and they travel outward They hit the sandbar, swamp it. They lift the boat up, turn it 180 degrees, and send it out back to sea. As a witness, I start weeping in the dream uh, as this raven. And I realize simultaneously that I am asleep, the captain of the boat underneath the deck. And I wake up in total grief. and so, you know, you know, the dream here is, you know, for me, you know, first of all, the grief was the most raw part, you know, mm-hmm. I literally, I literally woke up, um, tra- you know, from the dream straight into waking life. And that grief carried right through. I found that an amazing experience. Um, and in other words, this is, t- what I'm talking about when I say you go from the dream from the inside out, right? Mm -hmm. It, It just, it just happened to me without my control. You know, in the end, you know, part of, I think for those who want to understand a little more about this dream, what I realized over time is that I, in my life, I had been trying so hard to get to this place and I hadn't quite made it. And I thought it was the place I wanted to go. And then you know, after all this time of all the struggle of, of reaching this place, I got cast out back into the open sea with no destination. And so, in other words, my life, you know, got completely turned around and I was living in, uh, stuck on the primordial ocean of uncertainty. And so this was like a midlife change for me and Mm -hmm. everything that I had been planning on, I had to scrap and, give up all my expectations my ideas of what my life should be and so on and that's when i started seeking help for the first time in dream work because this dream um, challenged me so radically Mm -hmm. Um, and and i didn't know what to do with the grief i had no idea what to do with it Um, i was terrified of it so that that would be. I don't know if that's an example of what you're asking, but but you know, from the inside out, you know how I work with dreams is again they're alive and fierce. And in a way, the dream cast me out of itself into the world, um, carrying the grief through, and then I had to deal with it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it, and it was a great blessing in the end because if I had perhaps withheld that grief inside, it would have caused. You know severe illness is my right. guess. right. So
0: yeah. did something um, come to you through this dream the the fact that you were asleep under the deck as this is happening?
1: Yeah, I wasn't really awake, right? I was just uh, you could say autopilot
0: uh-huh. uh, is
1: what is what it felt like. I was doing, Um, what I thought I was raised to do, you know, society, this is the measure of success. This is how you go about it and so on. And so the crucial point and turning point in hindsight of that dream was that, um, you know, as Paulo Freire, said, you know, you make the road by walking it. I, from then on, as hard as it was, I chose my path and my path only, um, as best as I could. Mm-hmm. And not the dictates of how I was supposed to do it or what the right thing to do was or no, this, you know, I had to go this direction. Mm-hmm. So it was very powerful for that reason. Yeah. And and it also echoed on a, another layer back to my father died when I was young and um, or in my teens. Uh, and that grief got buried, actually, because my whole family didn't quite know how to deal with it. And so it resurfaced all at that time. Mm. And, but the echo here on another layer is that my father was a man who was trapped by society and never found his way out. Yeah. And so, so you see, for me, being trapped was anathema to my soul. And so uh, I got a great gift in, from my father there in, in being able to see his reality that he couldn't escape, and I escaped mine.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: Or I should say the false reality is what I how I see it.
0: Uh-huh. And this is all witnessed as a raven.
1: Yes, And that of course, zeros back into Raven dream tracking. Um, it, and zeros back to one of my first big dreams uh, before that was um, I'm standing in a desert and I'm looking down at the sand. And I see uh, some feet on the ground of like an elder or something. I don't, not quite sure. And as I look up to see this man's face, uh, a raven is sweeping down, uh, wings outspread and it swoops down and its beak hits me right in the third eye. I fall back and I wake up from the dream. And that Mm. dream scared me to death again. I was like, what? is happening. And from then on, you know, I could have gone from then on, all I did was I was in Montana at the time and I was mapping and I'd see ravens all the time. And I started actually just hanging out with the birds themselves rather than going to the symbol dictionary or looking at all the mythology, which came later. Yeah. I just want, I just wanted to understand why this bird was reaching out to me Mm -hmm. and, and what a relationship I've had all my life with the raven, you know, this playful, curious, um, sort of outrageous uh, bird that, um, you know, is both a scavenger and, um, and uh, just playful and riotous, makes so many different communications and so on. And uh, it just brought me joy to follow uh, a raven, to see him, you know, uh, you know, all his feathers fluffed up in a pine tree in Montana, just covered in snow just sitting there, um, slowly cooing, doing what they do. (laughs) And I I felt great comfort. Uh, you could say it was an ally and a friend. And ever since then, um, you know, Ravens have just been important to me and I've tried to give them my attention wherever Mm -hmm. I go Mm -hmm. because they've given me attention. It just seemed like the right reciprocation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That reciprocation in the waking world and the dream world and, you know, thinking about tracking, like the raven has left tracks in your dreams and your, your day world.
1: It certainly has, and to, to take that metaphor even more, I was talking about wolves before, and there's this incredible symbiotic relationship in nature between ravens and wolves. Oh. In, in the winter and in, in snow country, um, ravens obviously ha- aren't impeded by the snow because they can fly. And a lot of times they'll, they can find, uh, they might find a carcass or a weak um, animal and they'll cry out and uh, you know, call and so on and they can identify and call in wolves uh, because the ravens themselves can't get into the carcass or the animal if it's still alive, right? Mm -hmm. They, They can only witness. So they draw the wolves in, the wolves come in, take down the prey for their food and they're able, you know, open up the carcass and then the ravens come down and there's this playful um, sort of um, dance uh, where they all feed at the same time, hmm. um, the wolves and the ravens. And so this relationship together of uh, feeding each other. And so, you know, as even as you bring it up now, I feel like this is what I'm trying to do for the men yeah. in a way yeah. and to bring to bring the packs together and say, hey, you know, there's spirit food here in dreams and to become fuller and um, greater men and initiated men, we need to work together at it because we've forgotten to do that.
0: Wow. Yeah. I can, I was picturing that as you were describing it, (laughs) as the Raven, you know, calling to the pack and um, how you can help guide people together. But then as you were saying, you know, it's not about interpreting or telling anyone what it is. It's letting them be fed letting them find their sustenance and and feed themselves and feed together.
1: Exactly. That's
0: an amazing metaphor. Yeah. And I kind of love that it's sort of um, like dark and morbid as well. <laughs> like there's <laughs> that the wolves are going to kill this thing. And then the ravens are the scavengers, like, because it really, it's the morality of wild nature and of dreams. Yes. Like as human beings, we sort of shy away from um, that kind of image. Um, and violence maybe or predation or just because it involves death. I don't know, but that, that, that is completely woven into what's going on in dream tracking and in being in the wild.
1: Right. And, and that's, that's exactly though, why I, I love dreams because I think they, they bring the fuller wild humanity out in us, um, you know, by Revealing. I mean, ev- everyone has a certain think of a nightmare um, has a certain fear of dreams because it's like stepping off the deep edge, right? Um, the deep end is, um, as you well know, dreams are in a way fathomless. Yeah, uh, they're, they're infinite and they keep living in some ways too. Uh, and I think that scares the hell out of people. Uh, some people, in general, and it's not. Um, a doorway that everyone wants to go on but if but if we go in together there's safety in numbers too and there's you know incredible as harsh as it may sound it's an evolutionary path mm-hmm. of humans and so we touch into parts of ourselves and we see the distance uh from where we've come from and all that is incredibly valu- valuable and brings I I think a a real honest wisdom, not just knowledge, but a wisdom to our bones. Uh, We don't have to make meaning of everything. Sometimes we just need to experience what a dream brings, the feelings, the emotions. You know, as they say, sometimes a coyote is just a coyote. Uh
0: And a coyote is a coyote, <laughs> like capital C, right? <laughs> like, the experience of the coyote itself, that's plenty. Exactly. Yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I always say, you know, if, if if you're trying to force a meaning on a dream, let it go. You know, it, it it's going to inhabit you in the way that it needs to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a very sort of James Hillman sort of intake. But, you know, also my, you know, again, that's my experience over and over again. Um, yeah. Yeah. I
0: want to shift from that to something else you and I have touched on before about looking at dreams so like it, through the psychological lens can feel really narrow and that there's this bigger community and planetary and just experiential way to view them and I'm I'm thinking about when you know, talk about practical things in the waking world. You and I and some others in our community were working to protect this waterway from being poisoned with rotenone, and I was dreaming incessantly of water, mm. wild water, glasses of water, showers, um, and just water nightly. And I remember talking to you about this, and and not until I had a dream where you and I were actually at the creek that we were trying to protect did I get this realization that I was communicating with the water, with the local water, and the importance for me to not forget about the water Mm. was part of why it was showing up every night. It was like, keep paying attention, keep paying attention, don't give up, don't forget, the water needs
1: Mm.
0: what we were doing, you know? That, and I don't know, this might sound unrelated, but it ties together for me. There's sometimes, you know, one way of working with dreams where we look at um, everything in the dream as an aspect of ourselves, and even the sort of darker characters or the the enemies in the dream let's say and so there's a way of working with a dream where you try to figure out you know what qualities does this enemy have that i want to integrate into me and i've definitely had positive things from working dreams in that way mm-hmm. like re, you know really good realizations about this person's this character's like aggression in going for what they want i want a little more of that in myself right right But I also think that sometimes those um, aggressive or enemy characters represent the fact that like, we really have that in the world and we need to know how to deal with that outside of us in the waking world. Like you're talking about um, in the Iroquois dreams about enemies, you know? And so I guess I'm just asking about expanding if someone has been looking only psychologically. Yeah. You know, expanding into the ecosystem and everything else. Yeah, yeah. That's not exactly a question, but I'm curious what you think.
1: No, it's great and beautiful. Um, the experience with the water and you know, and, and all of the above to what you're saying. I, I like your you, you're suggesting. You know, it's very easy and in many circles to just uh, focus on the layer of the dream that's personal. But dreams are like uh, kanji, you know, or, you know, the Chinese language or, you know, where, you know, it's a symbol and it means many, many things at the same time, all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, and I know you and I have both experienced that beyond, you know, the personal lens, a lot of times we miss out on what else could be said. And so, for example, like with your water, you know, it's like, you know, so. You know, what happens if, yeah, the water is trying to come into relationship with you and so on. And so I think, you know, if you're working your own dreams or in dreams with a group, you know, it's it, it's a question you need to sort of layer into your dream work, uh, you know, and you might even start there and say, OK. So, what does this dream have to do with what's going on in the place or the world around me right now? Where is the aggressiveness coming from? Uh, you know, might the dream be showing me a way to reckon with it, to deal with it? Uh, might the dream be training me to be ready for a certain, um, you know, way of uh, a certain energy coming into the field? For example, uh, dreams do all those things. Um, and there's an inherent mystery, you know, you know, you know, is this the water asking for help? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the water trying to get me into closer relationship with me? These it's threatened, you know, Steven Eisenstadt again from Pacifica, ha, you know, works a lot on um, uh, sort of environmental um, hints that come from dreams on the place itself around us. Uh, so. I think it's incredibly valuable it it makes for a lot of work right and we're so we're so keyed in to this personal aspect of it but you know you know what if the practical and more important work is listening to uh what's showing up in the dream james hillman did a book on animal dreams and he recorded dreams with animals that people had over years and years with them. And he didn't record them to learn about the people or for the people to learn about themselves. He recorded the different animal dreams to learn about what was going on with the animal.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So it's just, it's just a flipping the perspective. Yeah. Um, So, and certainly when you look at ancient cultures and so on and, and indigenous cultures that, that sense of, Oracle and prophecy and hints from the outer world were were much more, I think, practiced. Yeah, uh, as that's what the dream is telling is about, you know.
0: And I'm the, a growing sense that I have is that we're particularly receptive to certain messages from the greater ecosystem, you know, including other people. Mm. Like, like I, you know, I have a lot of, in Chinese medicine terms, a lot of water energy in me. Um, and it's also a part of my system that often needs support. So it would, it's like for me to receive a message from water or to dream of water and to be able to resonate with that, I guess, is more natural. And so, you know, if I didn't, I wasn't one of the people who dreamt of the mountain lion, you know, but maybe even though the mountain lion was of the place, it was also particularly able to show up for certain people so, yeah, again, it's all things at once. It's personal and beyond at the same time.
1: Yeah, and I love that, Leilani, because, you know, it, it sort of shows that why a, a dreaming community is so important because each of us has a certain um, uh, focus or a gift or a relationship with different parts of a place and, you know, where we're keyed or tuned into it. And uh, that's really, really important. And I think that's how it worked in, in ancient societies and older um, societies is everyone sort of knew their unique relationship. And then by weaving their experiences together, their relationship with place was that much greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in this example, perhaps those who dreamed of, you know, how many dreams came up with mountain lion and water in them. Mm-hmm. and then. Then how do we start following that out? You know, for example, say you know the water is under threat. Maybe we need a mountain lion energy in order to um, protect the watersheds here. Mm,
0: nice. What
1: what what does that look like? You know, that yeah. sort of um, elusive, subtle, um, pounce only when you're ready, sort of energy. Um, you know, stay in the shadows until you know the right timing. All that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that feels like an important connection, yeah. Well, awesome. I feel like we could go on for mm-hmm. hours, yeah. but we well, we can wrap it up here for now. If anyone wants to learn more about your work or work with you, where can they find you online?
1: Uh, best is to go to ravendreamtracking.org. You know, it's it's focusing towards men, but please all of you and women to come see what I'm up to. And, uh, um, yeah, that's the best way to reach me. And, uh, I look forward to hearing from any of you just contact me if you have questions or want to talk.
0: Okay. Thanks so much. This was a really rich conversation. I'm going to be sitting with a lot of this. So thank you.
1: Well, likewise, Leilani for steering me down that, um, Dangerous path of uh, <laughs> the poetic dream and and uh, into into all the the strange layered worlds and uh, back out. So I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. I would love to hear what you think and feel about what you just heard and anything it's bringing up for you. Contact me through thedreamersden.org or post in our free Facebook group. I'll be back on the full moon.
1: Until then, wishing you deep dreams.